you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. My name is Janine Garner. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here today to join us on today's podcast. Now, there's no doubt that we are all living in a crazy world right now, a world where we are challenged uh, by three major macro challenges, the one of economics, the one of uh, health, and the one of social challenge. And in these periods of massive upheaval, massive uncertainty, fueling anxiety. Many of us are trying to navigate through and out the other side, leading ourselves, leading our teams, leading our organizations, uh, and leading those organizations across those global boundaries. One of the challenges that we have is that much of our communication, much of our leadership has shifted to the virtual space. And whilst those conversations have no doubt multiplied. Um, Part of the challenge, according to my next guest, Kyle Hegarty, is that the issues have also multiplied. Kyle Hegarty enables businesses to maximize their global leadership potential. Working with startups to Fortune 500 companies, his work is all about empowering leaders and teams to find new ways to communicate and lead across our shrinking planet. His programs help clients increase business across regions, strengthen teams, build trust, and refocus company cultures toward global innovation. In this podcast, he shares his own journey as a 29-year-old to building a global company uh, from moving from the US into Asia and all of the various challenges that came with that. As he talks about, you know, he had this desire to enter into the wonderful chaos, diversity, and cultural color of working across various countries and learned very early on the challenge of doing that. And the fact that this isn't a seven easy steps to working with people in other countries, but actually it's much deeper than that. And we talk a lot in this podcast around that power of connection. We talk about how to work across a shrinking planet. He talks about the power of having smarter questions to find those connection points that will build that softer connection that is needed prior to going into the tactics of doing business. And he challenges all of us to actually flip our thinking from treating other people in the way that you want to be treated to actually flip it into treating people how they want to be treated. If you are working with virtual teams, if you are working in a global organization or thinking about taking your thinking and your business globally, and if you're curious about how to successfully build connections and relationships across the globe, coupled with the fact that we're now having to do it virtually, this is an episode not to be missed. Kyle has also recently launched a new book called The Accidental Business Nomad, a survival guide for working across a shrinking planet. And as he says, it's an insider's account of what it takes to expand globally and the key lessons for enhancing cross-cultural 
understanding. So settle in for a great conversation around how we can lead, how we can grow, how we can build connections across a shrinking planet. Please welcome my next guest, Carl Hegarty. Kyle, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you on today's podcast. How are you? I am. I'm doing well. I'm. I'm slightly aggravated at you, however, because uh, you ask really good, thought-provoking questions, and I found myself waking up this morning at three thirty in the morning thinking about what unleashing brilliance means to me, and I'm blaming you for my sleep deprivation here. So. <laughs> We're off to a questionable start. So yeah, my day, I'm, I'm like, I, I've been awake for hours, even though it's only, you know, not even 8 a.m. <laughs> oh, I've been on your mind since three You have, you have. You, these, are, these are the thoughtful questions that just kind of keep you up at night. Well, as long as you've got your coffee at the ready. That's right. Because you're, just uh, share with the audience where you're dialing in from today. I am in uh, beautiful, hot and humid Singapore. Today. Oh gosh! Uh, and I hope you're keeping safe and sane over there. Yeah, Singapore. You know, if you're going to be stuck in a lockdown, uh, Singapore is a, a pretty good place to be. They've got a, a very clear communication about how and what's going on, what the expectations are. I, I think they've overall done a very good job uh, steering their their country through this. There have been some. <laughs> some side problems, but, um, generally just, even just from a communication and consistency standpoint, it's certainly better than, than my home country of the United States, you know, the mixed messages that are still coming out. So happy to be here. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful country. It's one of our favorite places to visit. So, um, tell me Kyle, just a little bit about, about you in terms of where it all started and how you've ended up yeah. It all, you where did it all start? I, you know, I've, I've always had this international bug. Um, I, I was an international relations major in, in university or college. Um, my first job was an international bank focus. And, and ever since, it's always had some sort of play going outward. Um, and so really, I think the big part of this gets into 2006 when I, I was involved in this small company that essentially what we did and still do is fill sales pipelines for other businesses. And we were doing that in the US. We were doing it in Europe. And I was, I don't know, I was 29, uh, didn't have kids, didn't have a mortgage, um, started just telling clients, by the way, we, uh, we do this in Asia as well, if, if you're interested. And I was completely making it up because we had no idea what we were, I had no idea. Uh, but a bunch of these companies said, yes, we want you to do this. If you can do Asia, do Asia. And so I ended up with these contracts that I had no idea how I was going to fulfill uh, to the, and literally getting onto an airplane, just going to Singapore as a starting point and trying to figure stuff out. And I think it's probably a good starting point. Like that, that was how blind <laughs> I went into this, uh, opening up a company on the other side of the planet and, and all of the obstacles that came with it, all the headaches, right? So maybe that's a good place to start. I love it. Before we do start there, though, where did the international bug come from? 
if you look further back to studying it, where, was there was there something way back that interested you about, or you know, made you curious about the yeah. rest of the world? My, Can you my, remember? my father uh, is from Ireland originally. My mother's American, so we we did have that always there. My mother was definitely a, into travel, so she tried to get us traveling. I, I was big into domestic politics as a geeky high school teenager for, for some reason. Uh, and I got very quickly uh, frustrated with it because it did seem like it was a bit of a game. It seemed like people were just doing things over and over. And I, I just got kind of tired of the domestic conversation that was happening. And that was what sent me to the international pages of the newspaper to start watching that. And I just it just seemed like there was just so much color and flavor and chaos all in kind of fun and you know positive ways I've, I've always i think that was really where it started um that way and then in in university college uh i had this professor who i had no i actually had had no interest in asia i, I wasn't really on my on my radar uh and this guy was just well renowned and and people thought he was great so I took him because of him not because of the topic and he was covering southeast asia I don't know, political history and I I I I really kind of fell for it it just sounded great it was so interesting and and that that was what planted the seed for southeast asia that's why many years later I just kind of said you know keeping an eye on this and watching the growth just you could just see the demographic story taking shape you could see the uh, macro movements you could see the markets opening up uh, for for someone like me who has always kind of had like an entrepreneurial bug it was just a no-brainer to get on that flight and you mentioned almost that watershed moment at the age of 29 um telling people that you were launching your business in Asia and yet not actually having a business in Asia. Yes. And you share in your, you know, you've, you've written a, a fabulous book called The Accidental Business Nomad, which is now on sale. And I particularly love that story that you share at the beginning um, of essentially you entered into the world of color, flavor, and chaos yes. and trying to deliver through on these contracts, and it just wasn't working. Um, are you able to just share with our listeners that, that story? Though, so what I found almost immediately was that the way I did business, the way I got stuff done, the way I communicated to people back in the US just wasn't working the same way, even here in Singapore. Uh, for example... I would um, give what I thought was a crystal clear instruction to this team. So I ended up hiring this team. And, and, and this, the example is very much real. Uh, they, their job was to cold call into thousands of, of names, of contacts. And the client gave us a, a marketing message for one particular offer. And the client then came back and said, they changed their mind. They said, you know what? Stop that campaign. We're not interested. We're not going to do that for right now. Uh, just stop the campaign. And so my guidance to these callers was, okay, guys, uh, they, the client said, stop this campaign. So just do that. Stop that campaign. And I disappeared and I popped in a couple of days later to find out that not only had they stopped the campaign, they stopped everything. 
and, and again, without getting into the super details, you know, they, they took my, my guidance absolutely literally. And there were people that, I don't know, 10 or more people who were going into work every day and just sitting at a desk doing nothing for eight hours because I had instructed them to stop this campaign, which is one of many campaigns that they were supposed to be doing. Uh, and, and to me, it was just this moment going, oh my gosh, like this is not what I'm used to. Uh, I would have expected somebody out of these 10 people over the last week to have asked a question to say, hey, would you like us to do something else? <laughs> and that didn't happen. And so that kind of got me started down this path of realizing that business and communication and working styles vary considerably across the planet. And if you ignore that, you will find that you cause a lot of chaos, a lot of trouble, and a lot of expensive mistakes will happen. And you talk about um, there was a particular moment. Weren't you in a bar with some friends? Oh, probably. about what to do so in hindsight you know you you've spent a significant amount of time uncovering the wonderful opportunities that exist and the differences in how we communicate and culture etc but back at the time when you I don't know 29 30 31 um you share this 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 just wonderful story about almost walking in a bar having to get a beer and I'm <laughs> not going right. to share the rest because in there therein lies the lesson there you're right so so this and this is something that happens here in Singapore to this day and and elsewhere but they have, and in, I don't, I'm in Australia for, or I used to be in Australia frequently, but here in Singapore, they have what's called one for one promotions. Now in the U S I think in Australia, it's usually like they would phrase it as two for one Buy, you know, right. You buy, I want two beers, but you pay for one of them, right? Yeah, <laughs> well, here yeah. it's one for one and you go in and you go, okay, can I get one beer? And somebody and a bartender will say, yeah, it's one for one. Like, Okay. Um, so you get two beers and they'll give you two beers at the same time. And you go, well, I just ordered one beer. Well, it's one for one. So that's two go. Well, okay. But you know, I, I don't want to drink two beers at the same time. And, and this goes on to this day where the, the, a wait staff will come in and say, well, it's one for one. So what, what do you want? How do you want to deal with this? And it's just this like 30 seconds of chaos trying to figure out how do we, organize this. Uh, okay. It's one for one. So do I have one now and then one later, or can I get one? And then the other one goes to my, to the person I'm with. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. Uh, and I thought it was a great example of, you know, what's crystal clear to one person becomes completely unclear to somebody else if you're not used to it. And so I kind of use that as this kind of fun, non-businessy example of how, com- how quickly communication breakdowns can happen. And this concept of of communication breakdowns is actually a fundamental challenge when it does come to what we're talking about today in terms of unleashing brilliance, whether that be your brilliance, your team's brilliance, or others' brilliance. The the, the your passion around the importance of communication um, really is evident in everything that you do. Um, so, from your perspective, why why is it important that you talk about you know this this world that's getting smaller, the shrinking planet you mm. call it? Why why is communication almost up there at the top of the skills and the capabilities that we need to develop, work on, master 
when we're all living in a shrinking planet. Yeah, we're we're on a we're in a shrinking planet that where there's kind of weird walls growing going up. There's we're not able to fly right now. So all of a sudden we're in this virtual shrinking planet. And and in many ways we've gone global faster in the last couple of months with the pandemic than ever before. And the reason is is because everybody's sitting on these bloody Zoom calls all the day, right? And it becomes all of a sudden a virtual team, a distributed team. It doesn't matter if your uh, colleague is is a mile away, a kilometer away, or 10,000 kilometers away, because we're all on these same screens. And what's happened more often now is that there's more international conversations going, especially people who have divisions or partnerships or colleagues working in different parts of the world, there's more communication happening now than there was a year ago. Uh, and I think it's because we're all on these calls all the time. And it's so, and just going back to my examples earlier, it's so easy to have things get misunderstood. Um, what I think could be crystal clear could be completely interpreted in a different way. And if that's not qualified and clarified, people very quickly go off in different directions to find that the, these these issues pop up. Uh, so I so I think that you know as communication as as the conversations have multiplied, so have the issues. And I do feel that companies and people are guilty of thinking that this technology that we've got solves the problem. We've got this Zoom sessions. We've got these webinars. We've got all of these things. Communication technology has rapidly improved, but communication itself has has hasn't changed at all. If not, it might have become become worse. <laughs> so yeah. this is the stuff I think that we're up against. I couldn't agree more. I mean, there's there's so much conversation around right now about uh, a perception that connection has improved because people are using Zoom and all these communication tools. Um, and I've challenged it, it, it a few times because, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about the power of connection, but it's deep connection. And irrespective of whether you're at an event where you're trying to, you know, find the coldest beer or the, the tallest glass of champagne and avoid, you know, the stranger around the corner or whether you're on Zoom, it's still very transactional. Even though people are looking people's living rooms, it's still highly transactional. And I think this connection and communication takes effort. It takes time. And so um, I'm curious from your perspective and with, with your level of, of expertise in this space, what it, what is missing right now and or what tips would you give to people in terms of improving that communication during these highly uh, highly connected times. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of questions within that question um, or, or directions we could go. Uh, let me I'll start out with just an example. Uh, I'm I'm American originally, and if I get connected, to, I, I just did a conversation with somebody in California yesterday, and we compared I don't know our trips to San Francisco or something. We we started talking about a sports thing, and it, you know maybe we're talking about baseball. I'm not a huge baseball fan, but I know enough to be able to have a quick conversation. And right off the bat, two minutes in, this is that kind of standard soft chat, right? Yeah, you know, uh, th there's a connection. We, we, we almost started even kind of lightly making fun of each other's hometown sports teams. And that 
builds a starting point of a relationship. Now, my other conversation was with somebody in India. They don't play baseball. I don't understand cricket. I know you're down in Australia. This is probably poor to say, but but I don't get it. And it's just not my thing. I don't have that moment to say, oh, you know, how how's that? How's your Bangalore team? I don't, I don't know, right? Like I have no idea about that. And what ends up happening over and over again is when you don't have that soft connection point, you just jump right into tactics of business. I think it's exactly what you'd said. I think it's, it's very tactical, these conversations. So without building that rapport, we tend to just go right into the business side of things. The problem is that most of the planet is much more relationship-based than both Australia and the US when they study this. So there's been decades, and I'll, I'll get into more detail on that later, but there's decades of research that look at working style differences around the planet. And one of the big takeaways is that there are some cultures that are very task-based. We're okay with an agenda. We're okay with conference calls. We're okay with doing business remotely because that's fine. It's about getting the, the business accomplished. Other parts of the world don't think that way, or or that's not how they see things. It becomes more important from a relationship standpoint first. I need to I need to know who I'm talking to. I need to break bread with this person. Um, maybe I want to know more about their family and their background. The whole virtual world that we've rushed into and been forced into is much more focused on that task-based approach to getting problems done. And mm-hmm. I think that it's planting some seeds of, of problems for global teams because we're not spending the time to figure out how I can connect with that guy in Bangalore because we don't have that kind of background thing that bridges us together. So what that means is we have to be smarter about how we have these conversations and we have to spend more time asking, I think, smarter questions to be able to build better bonding and rapport with people before we rush into trying to get business done. And I've got, I can give you examples or, you know, ideas about that, but maybe I'll take a breath and see if you, if that makes sense and what you, what your thoughts are on it as well. Yeah, it I, I absolutely does make sense. And I think, you know, your point of not only the fact that we've all been thrown into connecting digitally and many executives are thrown into managing virtually yes. across global boundaries and digitally now. Um, and this is part of the challenge. It's not, ju- it's not just about learning, to your point, around the tactics and the techniques. It's not just about learning the seven essential tips of cultural differences here. Yeah. It's the humanity piece of having an intention to build what you talked about there, that soft connection. So, yeah, I'm curious, Carl, what, what sort of uh, questions, powerful questions, smarter questions um, have you seen that work? So there, you know, I, I think the phrase I was I was searching for earlier was was small talk, right? We we all tend to start out with small talk, where you essentially um, try and find connection points. What we need to do in a global context, especially here in 2020, is be smarter about it and more calibrated about it. I don't know, maybe we'll call it big talk, but you know, there's got to be um, other ways to be able to build stronger relationships virtually. And so 
on my website, I, I think it's actually listed on the back of the book, but there's sort of like a hidden part of the website where you can get a bunch of these big questions that you could ask within a team. And I'll give you a few examples. Um, a great starting point. I know this is basic, but people love talking about food and local food. And uh, I had this great client example where so I think of somebody in Germany or it was either Germany or the UK, but we started chatting with their colleagues in India about food. And India, of course, is massive place, very diverse. And the per- I think the person was from the UK. He had no idea really about the difference between Northern Indian food and Southern Indian food. And, just, and so the person in India was more than happy to talk about it because you know there's a passion for it it's something that's interesting and the conversation evolved to the point where wow you know the the food difference is so distinct across india is, is that like that in other ways as well oh yes it is uh, in fact business is done very differently in delhi than we would approach it in a place like even bangalore well tell me about that well, it's more, you know, and so, and all of a sudden, the conversation started getting into these variations within 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 India, and it got to the point where the the person in, in the UK was going, you know, this actually, I didn't know that there was such variation in terms of how business is done within India. Maybe we need to be rethinking how we're approaching this as a market. Maybe this isn't a market. Maybe this is a series of smaller markets that need to have more of a localization approach that we weren't thinking about before. And that entire creative process started from a conversation about food, which I just, I I think it's really interesting. So I think it's a good example of having this series of smarter questions to be able to ask colleagues from different parts of the world when you find that you can't talk about your Premier League, right? Like, you know, when, when the rest of the world doesn't care about your sports team, you've got to have a series of other ways to start building rapport and to start going deeper into different parts of the world and, and what those interests are about. And you've also got to have a preparedness to do that, right, Kyle? Because the, the natural tendency when people are potentially feeling uncomfortable is to actually get straight to the work at hand. For, for us. Yeah, for us. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm, I'm still to this day guilty of it. Still to this day. I've got, uh, I've got interns up in India and, you know, there's those awkward silences and things. And it's like, I've got to, I, you have to mentally prepare to, um, you have to prepare for these calls differently than you would w- with somebody who you are more naturally um, comfortable with. Mm. And, and that those types of questions are a good way to do it. One bit of advice I give to teams is if you're doing a weekly global t- call, get one of these questions out beforehand, either nominate one person to, to talk through it, what their ideas are, or just bring it up and, you know, carve out five, 10 minutes just to see where the conversation goes. Uh, one other example is, you know, I'll keep using India just just because we're talking about India. Now I'm getting hungry for Indian food. Uh, but <laughs> one question would be, what's one book or movie that we, the rest of us, should watch to get a better sense of like of of, of life and business in India, the way stuff is done up there? And 
to hear it, like it's, and, and I'd ask the same question, like what's one book that you would recommend for people to get their head around Australia? Like what's the most, you know, like what, what would you actually serious question? What would you, what, what would you recommend a book or movie that really encaptures that you think would be a great way for a foreigner to get a sense and a feel for what Australia is all about? You see, that's a great question because I'm originally from the UK and I moved to Australia oh, 20 years ago now. Yep, yep. I can very easily, and I'm from the north of England in the UK, yep. which is very different to London. So I'm from Yorkshire. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, and there's a massive, uh, you know, I grew up with a massive north-south divide, which still continues. And I my, can. My, ask wife's, my wife's from Devon, so you guys wouldn't get along at all. <laughs> but I can ask <laughs> Watch Coronation Street, watch Emmerdale Farm. That's how I grew up. That was the lifestyle and can do that without even having to think about it, really. Um, your question about Australia, I'm, I'm actually going, oh, my gosh. Actually, that's some work I've got to do. I know. Now, you're going to wake up at 3.30 this morning, yeah. tomorrow morning, so you're welcome. Okay. Watch Neighbours. Watch Neighbours. <laughs> Because uh, because somebody flipped it on me and said you know as an American what what would you recommend and um, I, I I I spent some time thinking about it and there's a book it's a huge massive book but it's called Walt and it's a biography on Walt Disney wow. and you know it's it's a, an incredible story and it's not always a positive story but it's an incredible and I think it is the American dream story. Um, and you talk about unleashing brilliance. I, I would highly recommend. I, I couldn't put the book down. I mean, it was a thousand pages long, I think, but fantastic book. And I just, it, to me, it enc it encompasses the values that I personally um, appreciate and and are am passionate about when it comes to American values. I think that that's a country with whose value system is under attack internally and there's a lot of you know strife and disagreement but the things that make me proud of that country are embodied in that kind of a story now i'm gonna i'm curious now tell me more about those values i think um the thing that that i that, that i find that i'm proud of um is the self resil is the is the autonomy um, the belief, the sincere belief that anyone can rise up. And I, that's a perfect example of, a, I think, a value that is under attack, possibly systemically. Maybe it was never there, but you know, that's kind of what values are. Values are ideals. They're not necessarily reality. But I do believe that historically there was a feeling, that's the American dream, that anyone can make it. I, 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 I am a believer in that. Uh, I think that one of the powerful things that, that America exported was that idea. I, I think the American dream has gone global and America doesn't know what to do about it. <laughs> so that would yeah. be one example. Who, who has been the most influential person in your life, Carl? Uh, you know, uh, there's not one person that, that jumps out. There's, there's kind of little... Um, success stories along the way. I, I, I bring up a couple of the characters actually in the book who I, I thought were interesting. They're, you know, there, there's no real heroes in this, in this book, but there's characters and they, they, um, what I was looking for was in, in this kind of phase of my life, like 
who is the person that manages globally really well? Like, what is that? What is that person like? And I identified this one person. Uh, Axel is his name. All of the all of the names have been changed to protect the guilty in this book. But what I wanted to understand was why was this guy so successful managing across different parts of the world? And he was able to just fluidly change his behavior and his approach to work while being authentic about it. And I and and I I, I became fascinated by this guy because he would talk to me and every other word out of his mouth was a swear and he was always insulting me, but he was doing it in like a, a, a loving way. Like, you know, like we were, we were friends. And so we were kind of, um, handling each other that way, right? You, you're, you're, you're just another stupid American. Why do you do it this way? You're, this is so stupid. And he, and he was, he meant it in, in all, he, he meant it well pivot to him working with like a Singaporean team totally different body language, totally different style, totally everything he would change. Um, for me, we would go out for drinks after work and he would yell at me and we would have this kind of confrontational debate, which was fun because we were trying to figure stuff out. For his Singapore team, he would have lunch and he would have a long lunch and he would be quiet and he would be comfortable with silence. And it was a uh, it was a radical behavior change that he was just comfortable doing. And, that, and I, so I kind of get into some detail as to why I just, you know, why, why I think that was such a powerful thing, but it has to be authentic. And I think he, he, he was able to do it that way. So there's my quick, quick answer. Well, not so quick answer to a, to an important question. What, what did you learn from him? Do you think, you know, looking at, looking at him as an individual and you said you've included him in the book, what, the- what, did he teach you? The big idea that he taught me was that people, um, the, the I talk about this. The golden rule was that you know treat people the way you want to be treated. His thing was treat people the way they want to be treated, and it's such a simple statement, but. That probably over the last 10 years was has had the most profound impact on how I approach certainly businesses. I probably should approach it more on my private life as well, but it's you know, it's this stuff is not easy. You have to treat people the way they want to be treated. And so then you get into this entire study of well, what makes pe- other people tick? What motivates people? What demotivates people? And the more I went down that path, that behavioral psychology, the re- more I realized how widely diverse people are in terms of things that get them excited, get them scared, get them nervous. Uh, and, and so that's the big thing that he taught me to, it, it was, to me, it was like massive eye-opening ideas. And it's certainly stuff that I'm, I'm still working on myself. Yeah, it's such a profound shift, isn't it? Yeah. From thinking about yourself to actually being, I call it, attention out and yes. shifting your focus onto other people. Um, and you also, that point that you, you said there about this realization around the widely diverse nature of humanity. Um, 
which is, you know, a simple statement. And yet it's so right in terms of however many people are on the planet, the diversity of all of those. Have you got an example? I'm curious, one that you are happy to share where you forgot all this stuff that you've learned. You forgot about the attention out. You forgot about how they wanted to be treated. You you forgot, and all unconsciously, I'm sure, but where you actually um, got a taste of, your, of, of, of what it's like and the, I suppose the resulting failure or learning. Have you got an example that you're willing to share? Yeah, I have a 5,000 word example that's in chapter nine of this book. <laughs> and I won't, I won't give you the 5,000 word version, but um, what tends to happen, and I'm, I'm part of this as well, everybody's guilty of this, under pressure, we tend to fall back to our natural operating styles. If my natural style, if my natural working style is to be very task-focused, very direct, um, confrontational, just solve the damn problem, you know, kind of figure it out, figure out the details later, uh, under pressure, all of that starts almost multiplying. Conversely, if you are somebody who is more reserved, if you are more, we'll call it introverted, but there's that's a other can of worms. If you avoid confrontation, if you don't like speaking up, if if under you know if if there's a challenge, you want to almost go inward and kind of think about stuff longer. You become even quieter. And in a working situation, if you've got person A who is that first descriptor that I gave you who is outgoing, loud, demanding, task-focused, and then person B, who is quiet, introverted, uh, wants to think internally, that they, they actually behave in complete opposite ways under pressure. So in other words, they almost start repulsing one another. Um, if you think about it from like a magnetic force standpoint, the Loud person gets louder, the quiet person gets quieter. And if you want to ever frustrate or piss off a loud person, get quiet or don't answer their question or hem and haw and don't get to the point quickly. That, that's, that's the number one way to frustrate somebody. And vice versa, if you, are a, if you want to frustrate or annoy a quiet person, keep asking them more and more questions, louder and louder and louder, because that's just going to make them more and more quiet. Uh, I am a hundred percent guilty of falling into this trap. Uh, when you know the work situations get tough, I tend to become extremely task focused, and that can be very off putting to people who that's if that's not their natural style. So I won't I won't go into a whole example, but if you want a five thousand word essay example on it, you can you can find it in this book. <laughs> what was it? Tell us what the resulting impact of it was. Well, um, how did you? Where was the point where you went? Uh oh, <laughs> I'm not following my own advice here. <laughs> the um, I the very quick story is that we went. You know, I started as as you know, I came over here and kind of making it up as I went along, and we got to this point where I ended up um, winning this multi million dollar deal, this contract for over a number of years where we had to, I think we went like, we grew eight times in terms of employees. I hired about 40 people within a month across seven different countries. So you talk about like remote team building. Um, all of this happened just immediately. So I put all of these people remotely in all of these countries and the pressure was on. And the whole 
project was kind of set up for failure for uh, complicated reasons. But um, I went into a just task mode phase of my life like I've never been before. My wife at the time, uh, my wife accused me, you know, she said, you know, it, it seems like you um, put like even time to talk to me in your calendar. And I immediately denied it, but then I went back to my calendar and deleted the stuff where I had put in. I, I did. I was guilt. Like I put in my calendar to go talk to my wife. <laughs> it was terrible, but that was how bad. That was how bad it got. Um, the thankfully, the project actually collapsed on itself. Uh, I was very f- stubborn. You know, I, I wanted it to work and, and at all costs, and so thankfully, the whole thing um, ended up over. I don't know, a two year period collapsing in on itself. So that was the outcome, which was this thing ended up uh, defeating me. But it was an incredible learning experience because I was a couple of years into my Asia stuff. I I had been learning a lot of these different cultural components and behavior types. And then the second the pressure kicked in, man, I was guilty. I reverted right back to how I behave under pressure. And so there, there it was. It was a great lesson, great, great series of lessons. What, um, as we sort of start wrapping up this conversation, um, you know, you, you've got such a significant amount of experience in terms of working globally. Um, you've built a very successful organization helping other organizations navigate uh, communication and doing business across this shrinking planet. Um, what, what is the one thing that you know now to be true um, that maybe at the age of 20, 21, 22, you didn't, what is the one thing now that you know to be true? Well, I hate to repeat myself, but I think that the big, the big thing here, and I think that the one takeaway that I try and leave with, with when I'm doing coaching or some of these workshops to try and get uh, teams working better together, especially if they're doing it remotely across geographies is that you've got to treat people the way they want to be treated. If you are trying to manage a diverse team, uh, and I'm, I've got, I, I will, again, the names will be changed, but I've got this uh, company out of Australia right now, and this guy's out of Perth. He is uh, very, call him a traditional, I don't know, he's, he's very rugged Perth guy, and he does things his way, and quite frankly, he's very stubborn, and he's just inherited a team across Southeast Asia, and he you know, is very direct. He uses vulgarity. Um, he expects people to, if they have questions, they come to him and all of his expectations are that everybody else should be working the way he is used to working. And we are very slowly trying to say, look, you know, you can, you can do it that way. It will most likely not work. It's going to fail. 95% chance your approach is going to fail across Southeast Asia. Are you willing to acknowledge this and, and look at ways to make this work? So in other words, do you want to be right or do you want to be successful? And that's a very difficult thing for a lot of people to get over. Uh, And it takes time. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's And this podcast is all about unleashing brilliance. What what does what were you thinking about at three thirty this morning? <laughs> I was thinking about simplicity. Um, I was thinking about accountability, uh, and it's not this. This probably isn't a brilliant answer, but I, I think that in in a 
age that we're in with the unknowns, the, the nobody knows where this is all going, um, the autonomy that we all now have, especially working remotely, requires people to be much more self-sufficient and um, accountable. And an example that I think about would be if if there is a problem, you know, it's so easy to say, well, okay, well, oh, this this didn't work, and you know, sit back and wait for it to get fixed. In a remote environment, it's probably not going to happen. And if you don't know specifically who is going to fix something, you should be looking in a mirror and get the damn thing fixed yourself. I, I know that it's not probably the traditional um, definition of brilliance, but I think if people took a real strong look about accountability, I think that their behavior on a day-to-day basis would change pretty considerably. Uh, and I I've, I've have to remind myself that frequently, you know, as we're, as we're doing our book launches during a pandemic, all of these issues that you and I have probably both gone through, uh, who's ultimately responsible? We are. And it's about taking that accountability and doing something about it. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. It's it's the ownership piece, and um, you mm. know, in in my book, I talk about how you know, in the hearts and minds of every single one of us exists the brilliance to become more. But it's a choice. You yes, know, being is a choice. Being brilliant is a practice, and being brilliant is a discipline. And no one else can do it for you. And it's the ownership piece, which sounds easy, but people are so quick to step into blaming something else someone else the fact they haven't got as to their lack of of progress and I I couldn't agree more I think uh, the unleashing brilliance for me is you've got you've got everything you need yes you may need to develop and you may need to work on stuff and craft expertise or uh, you know overcome some challenges but it's up to you fundamentally no one else can for you Finally, actually not, second to last question. If we've got Alex Axel, sorry, as, as the pseudonym was, Axel on this podcast right now, what would you say to him? Ooh, I, first, I want to know where the hell he went. He disappeared on me. I can't, I can't find the guy in real life anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> last I heard, he disappeared to Mexico or something but, but, <laughs> on a project. But um, wow. Um, I, you know, I asked him and I put this in the, one of the last chapters, you know, what, like, what's your secret? Um, and I probably would ask him that again, you know, this was 10 years ago. So I would love to know what he, how he's evolved in the last 10 years. I've, I've put this guy on a bit of a pedestal in some ways. And, you know, any, anytime you do that, that opens yourself up to, to danger because nobody should really be put up on a pedestal. But I would love to hear his answer about unleashing brilliance. I'd love to hear his take on cross-cultural communication in a pandemic world, because I, I think he would have some really interesting ideas. Good question. Ooh, he got me yeah. on that. Well, he had such a profound impact on you in terms of that, just that that shift around. Yes, people how they want to be treated, and, and maybe his answer, maybe his answer would be the same. I kind, I kind of hope it would be because he was very consistent. So hope maybe maybe he wouldn't have anything new to add, but that's fine. That's that's good. 
Carl, it's um, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you. I could keep talking to you. Um, I'm so excited about the launch of your book, The Accidental Business Nomad. I think it is well and truly needed right now in this in this world that is shrinking, and yet we're almost getting further away from each other. My, you know, one of my big concerns mm-hmm. is the silos that are being created by the down globally but but my you know finally you know we often ask people what what do you want to do next what's next for you um i'm actually more intrigued with what do you want to be remembered for what i thought you were gonna ask what i want to be when i grow up Um, (laughs) i don't think any of us can answer that question i know i know i'd be sad if i could answer that question uh look i I think everything that you just said about the challenges that we're facing, the the walls, the protectionism, the the unhinged potentially nationalism, um, I'm concerned that it's going to erase some of the things that we've learned in the last couple of decades in terms of what what's required to work globally. That that's something I'm concerned about. I'd like to be known as that person fighting that fighting that current. Um, I'm, I'm not here to tell you to outsource everything because that's not the point. The point is that we are interconnected and we need to understand how to adapt in different parts of the world. I'd love to be known as the guy who, who just tried to amplify that message so that all of this blood, sweat, and tears from the last couple of decades of hyper-globalization all of those lessons, both good and bad, don't get erased or or forgotten about. That's fabulous. Kyle, how can people find you if they want to know more, talk to you about their challenges and uh, get you to help them yeah. unleash experience as business owners or leaders? Leadershipnomad.com is my website. There's a hopefully not very invasive once a month newsletter that goes out with a few quick tips and ideas about the all of these topics so that would be a very good place to to find me and the things that i'm up to so leadershipnomad.com kyle it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for joining me this morning on the podcast and good luck with the book and i hope one day i can come to singapore and you can uh, Take me to that bar and we'll do one for one i was about to say the first one for one's on me so then <laughs> I'll make sure I keep my mouth shut so we're not having to <laughs> Love it. Thank you so yeah. much. This is great. My pleasure. Keep safe. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people. Extraordinary results.